to everyone and uh, yeah, it's really lovely to be with you again. You have a very special place in our hearts, Union Chapel. Um, it's a bit like heartburn, so I take a Rennie's for it now and then. And No, very many precious memories and uh, yeah, we, we continue to pray for Union Chapel and remember you all fondly. Uh, we're going to be in, in John's Gospel today, John chapter 13 uh, is where we left off, I think a, a six months ago or so I was here and uh, and John, uh, before I moved from Bath, we were going through John's Gospel. We got to chapter 13. So, uh, John chapter 13 today, and uh, verse 21 to verse 38 is our reading. And uh, yeah, we are a little bit tired. I was having breakfast this morning at the Beezers and managed to pour coffee into the cornflakes. And uh, it's surprisingly quite delicious. But, uh, but yeah, John 13, 21 to 38, it says, When Jesus had said these things... He was troubled in his spirit, and he testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So when he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this All men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. This is, this is God's word, and uh, I know Dave's prayed, but uh, I'll pray again. Father, we, we look to you for this. Uh, I need to be pointed to Christ. I need to be fed the gospel this morning, and I know it's what my brothers and sisters need here today as well. They need to not see me. They need to see Christ lifted up, and I pray that that would happen today by the Spirit of God working in me and working in my brothers and sisters here this morning as well. So please point us to him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning what we're going to be looking at is faithfulness to Jesus or loyalty to Jesus. What does it look like? What does it mean to be faithful or loyal to Jesus? And last time we left off, a good few months ago, Jesus was in the upper room with his close followers. He just washed their feet, if you remember, at the start of chapter 13. And he told them that they would be blessed if they followed him in that example of washing feet. He taught them that this humble service is what it looks like to follow him and to be blessed. And we're still in the upper room. This is the night before Jesus is going to be betrayed. Jesus and his followers are celebrating the Passover feast. He's going to be crucified the next morning. 
So everything he's saying now is weighty and significant. These are the last words really of Jesus. John 13 to 17 are last words. And uh, Jesus is gathering his closest disciples and teaching them very important things before he leaves, before he goes to the cross. So really what you're reading, um, John 13 to 17, is, is witty and it's important. Uh, I personally believe we should be reading the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, and then this upper room discourse, they call it, John 13 to 17, all of the time. These are significant passages of scripture for the Christian life. And what I want to argue for us this morning is this. Faithfulness to Christ is best evidenced in our love for one another. Simply that. Faithfulness to Christ is best evidenced in our love for one another. I want to go first of all to verse 21 to 30. And we see Judas and the betrayal that's about to take place. And I want to just point out some significant things about Judas um, as well as we look at this passage of scripture. But, but first of all, we see in verse 21, it says Jesus was troubled in spirit. Troubled in spirit. And Jesus has been troubled in spirit before. In John chapter 11, in verse 33, uh, in the tomb of Lazarus, as he considers his friend dead in the tomb, it says that he was troubled And in John chapter 12 and verse 27, as he begins to talk about his death, it says that Jesus was troubled. And this word troubled, it means to be distressed, to be agitated, to be unsettled, and even to be anxious. So Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, is distressed, agitated, unsettled, and perhaps even anxious at this moment. The same word is used when it talks about King Herod. When King Herod realizes that that there's a Messiah, that there's a king of the Jews born in Bethlehem, it said that he was troubled. When the disciples see Jesus walking across the water and they think it's a ghost, it says that they are troubled. And at the pool of Bethesda, when the water bubbles up, it's the same word, this agitation, this bubbling up of, of the water. And what that helps us see then is this, what Jesus is experiencing is churning. This is Jesus fully God, Jesus fully man, experiencing a churning of emotions here. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, the churning of emotions, distressed, anxious, overwhelmed, agitated, unsettled. And what I just love from this simple verse of scripture when it says that he was troubled in spirit is to know this, that your savior who treasures you and looks upon you with tender love knows exactly how you feel. Isn't that good news? That the savior, God in the flesh, when you're distressed, he looks upon you with tender love and says, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed. I know what it's like to feel this agitation. I know what it's like to have the churning of emotions. He's been there and he's felt it. And Jesus doesn't chide his people and say to them, I felt it worse than you. So wind your neck in as they say in Northern Ireland. You've got nothing to complain about. You don't know what it was like for me. That's not how he deals with it. No, his heart is drawn towards you with compassion. Because he knows by experience and what you're facing. And he cares. Have you ever been along with somebody and you said, they're like, how are you doing? And you're like, I'm not doing so well. Um, you know, my, my leg's not working as well as it used to or something like that. Anything. And, um, they, and you're, you know, you're just confiding. You're just sharing. You're just laying out your burdens to them. And they some, say something to you like, well, that's nothing. 
Ever, ever, everyone ever said that? And they start telling you their sob story. And you're like, yeah, thanks a lot. That's, that was a blessing. Thank you. <laughs> That's nothing. Yeah, it feels like nothing. Right? Uh, there's, a, there's an old comedian. Um, and it's called the, he's talking about how he got one of his wisdom tooth pull, pulled out. And it was painful, and it was all processed, and it was quite a painful experience for him. And he's, ta- he's sharing this with a group of people, and one of them says, that's nothing. I had two pulled out. And you're like, oh, wow, like, look, look at you. Well, you're wonderful. And, um, and the idea is like, well, I still had one. I still experienced that. And so Jesus doesn't do that, though. Jesus doesn't look at you in your uh, distress, in your anxiousness, in your troubled spirit and say, that's nothing compared to what I've been through. He's not like that. He's compassionate and he cares. And in Hebrews, it says that he's a sympathizer because he's experienced these things. So Jesus is troubled in spirit as he begins to talk about the fact that he knows that someone in this room, someone close to him, is going to betray him. But, but take note here. In verse 21 he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And look what happens in verse 22. The disciples looked at one another perplexed. It wasn't like, one of you will betray me, and then eleven eyes turned to Judas. Yep. We're, we're all suspicious of this guy. If it's anyone, it's him, right? They're all looking at one another, perplexed by this situation. Peter looks over at John, who's sitting at the, or who's lying at the, the bosom of Jesus, and says, ask him who it is. And so John says, Lord, who is it? And verse 26, we have the response. And we don't know if Jesus said this to everybody, or if he whispered it to John. But in, in verse 26, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And he dipped it and gave it to Judas. So you might have whispered that to John. In other words, it's going to be Judas. But then they, he, says to, he says to them, um, in verse 27, uh, he says to Judas, what you're going to do, do it quickly. And they're still puzzled. What, what's he going to do? He's just said, one of you is going to betray me. They're all looking at one another. Who, who's the one that will betray, betray Jesus? Who of us will do this? And then he looks at Judas and says, what you're about to do, do it quickly. Verse 28, none of them knew what, he, what they were speaking about. Some of them were like, oh man, he's, he's got the money, so he's away off to get something for the food. Or he's about to go give money to the poor. Verse 30, having received a piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. So even after Jesus explains, they don't think Judas is the one who's going to betray. They think it's got something to do with the money. But we know it says here in this verse uh, that Satan, in verse 27, had entered the heart of Judas. And in verse 30, he left the light of the world and went into the darkness to do dark deeds. And what's that for us this, this morning? What, why am I in this passage of scripture Because this, this is so important that you hear this, faithfulness to Jesus is not in how busy you are in ministry. Faithfulness to Jesus is not how busy you are in ministry. And I'm speaking as a pastor, but this is for all of us. If If you're part of the church fabric, if you're doing the programs, if you're part of the services and you're thinking, this was what it looks like to be faithful, that I'm doing this, that I'm part of this program, that I'm, that I'm focused, I'm busy, I'm serving, I'm doing all these things. And I want to say that that is not what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus. It's good to be busy. It's good to serve him. It's good to serve the church and serve the people. But it is not what it means to be faithful or loyal to Jesus. How do I know? Because we have Judas Iscariot here. 
And Judas Iscariot, for three years, was busy doing ministry. Wasn't he? For three years, this man was busy. For three years, he was busier than you and I. Healing people and casting out demons. Judas was one of the ones that was sent out to do the healing, casting out demons. And so when they all come back and they're like, we were casting out demons and we were raising people up and we were healing the blind. And what does Jesus say? Don't rejoice about that. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because at that point in time, he knows what Judas is going to do three years from now. That you've been doing that, but your, your name's not written. And you're not loyal. You're not faithful to me. So the, the crazy thing about Judas is that he looked the part. He looked the part. He's busy for three years, healing people, hearing Jesus' words up and down the country. And he's even trusted with the money. This guy's the treasurer. No, no looks at Kerry, but this guy's the treasurer. And when he says, one of you will betray me, no one looks at Judas. Go do it quickly. Oh, he's away to get something for the poor. And so he looks the part, but he's not faithful to Christ. Faithfulness to Jesus is not found in being busy with ministry. This means a lot to me. I need to keep reminding myself of that. Um, the first five years of my Christian experience, I believe this. That faithfulness to Jesus is being busy. And all it led to was legalism and moralism. And at the end of it all, a lovely nervous breakdown to top it all off. And after coming out of all of that, I realized it's not about being busy. It's not about that. It's not about filling your life with all these things. So don't ever let anyone pressure you into busyness, 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 because that's faithfulness. It isn't. Second of all, we come to verse 31 to verse 35, and we see a call to love. A call to love. But we're going to skip over that. We're going to come back to it, and uh, we're going to get verse 36 to verse 38, which is Peter's denial. Because sandwiched in between Judas and Peter is the call to love. And I want to focus in on the call to love in a little bit. So we've had Judas' betrayal uh, up to verse 30. Now we're going to skip over and go to Peter's denial, verse 36 to verse 38. Peter actually ignores what Jesus said in the call to love. Uh, He ignores the commandment. He wants to know more about what Jesus was saying in verse 33, which we'll get to. But Jesus doesn't want to give Peter any more information. Because it's not about the info, it's about the command that was important. And Peter's missing the whole point here. And uh, Peter, or Jesus says, I'm going, I'm leaving. And uh, you will not be able to follow me, but eventually you will be able to follow me. And Peter says in verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. So Peter has this pledge of loyalty to death. A vow to do the big and the extraordinary. The ultimate sacrifice to die for somebody. And uh, Peter's basically saying this. There's nowhere that you would go that I would not be willing to follow you. There's nowhere you would go that I would not be willing to follow you. But verse 38, Jesus knows differently. Because he knows in John 2, the hearts of men. And so Jesus tells him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And what what we see from this passage of scripture, this little short section, is faithfulness to Jesus is not found in doing the big and the extraordinary things. It isn't. It's not in the big and the extraordinary. 
how many times you preach or how, mu- how much you do or what big achievements you have uh, come to. Pledging loyalty and pledging your faithfulness, that is not what makes you faithful to Christ. And Peter clearly doesn't realize here that it's not Peter's death for Jesus that's significant, but Jesus' death for Peter that's going to alter everything. So, faithfulness is not found in a busy ministry life or in big vows or big deeds. That's not what makes you faithful to Christ. And this is really important that we grasp that. There are so many ways that you and I create standards of what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus that are not found in Scripture. They're actually anti what Jesus is teaching. And what we see then in verse 31 to 35 in this call to love is that faithfulness to Jesus, according to Jesus himself, is best evidence in our love for one another. That's how we show that we're faithful to him. By obeying this commandment. Not in doing the big. Not in doing the much. But in simply obeying this little commandment. In verse 31 to 35. So let's crack into a call to love. In verse 31 to 32. Um, Jesus says that God the son himself. Is about to bring glory to God the father. And that the God the father. Will respond by glorifying the Son. When the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. And what is this thing that's going to bring glory to the Father and thereby glory to the Son? Well, it's, it's the cross. Through the cross, God is going to get the glory. Uh, through the cross, his enemies will be defeated. Through the cross, sin will be paid for. Through the cross, death will be destroyed. The cross, the grave, will bring glory to the Father, and then the resurrection will bring glory to the Son. I'm going to bring glory to my Father through the cross, and the Father's going to respond and glorify me immediately by bringing glory to me in the resurrection. So it's all about the cross here, verse 31 to 32. But we get to verse 33, and Jesus says, Little children, Little children. Now, bear in mind, he's speaking to, like, some of them are fishermen. You know, big bearded men, like blokes. You know? Um, people from, like, the north. You know? And, uh, and Jesus says, my little children. And that word, little children, what that means is, my darlings. That's how it could be translated. Technion, my darlings. My dear little ones, is what it could mean. It's, it's endearing. It's, it's a beautiful word to use. Uh, it's a bit interesting to use that for hardy fishermen and tax collectors and ex-assassins like Judas the Zealot. But Jesus looks at these 12 or these 11 people uh, who are all very different from one another, who've had conflict with one another. James and John, the we want to be the best. And all these guys, he's about to leave behind and he says, my precious little ones, my dear infants, my darlings. He's leaving the ones he loves And he's finding that hard. But we get to verse 33 at continuing. I'll be with you for a little while longer. And then you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so now I say that to you. Because he's going to the cross. And he said, you can't come to the cross with me. And then he's going to go to the Father. And they'll come with him in the future. But we get to then... 
Verse 34 to verse 35. Right in the middle of all of this, this Judas Iscariot who's been, who's been faithful outwardly for three years, busy doing ministry for three years, but he's not faithful to Jesus. And then we get Peter vying big things for Christ. But we know that Peter's not going to be faithful to Jesus because the next day he's going to deny Jesus three times. Or just a few hours actually. He's going to swear that he doesn't know him. He's going to curse at these people, swearing that he doesn't know Jesus. So we get to verse 34 to 35, right in the middle of all of this, we get this commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples. Disciples, faithful followers. Loyal followers. By this they'll know you're my faithful followers if you have love for one another. So why is this a new command? Jesus says, this is a new commandment that I give to you. Well, it's, it's perhaps new because of the degree of love that's being commanded here. In the Old Testament, we think we looked at this previously. In the Old Testament, you're, you were still called to show kindness to your enemy. If your enemy's donkey was in the ditch... You were actually meant to go and get the donkey out with, you were meant to help him get your enemy's donkey out of the ditch. But then you kind of like leave and you're like, right, you know, it was a pleasure to help you. And you leave, right? But this New Testament commandment is a command of, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So no, this is no longer just some practical thing and then walking away. This is Jesus saying, as I'm about to die for my enemies, to make them my friends, so I'm calling you to do the same. 1 John 3.16 says that here is love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. So that's why it's new. Because the, the command to love is being heightened now. It's heightened to the point of I will die for my enemy. I will die for the ones who have hurt me. And it's new in the sense that it distinguishes who the followers of Jesus are. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. By this, all will know that you're my disciples, that you're busy doing ministry. By this, they'll know you're my disciples if you're fully involved in all of the programs. By this, they'll know you're my disciples because you've been a deacon or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or playing the piano or whatever it is, other things that you do. For so many years now, that's what makes you faithful. Or, by this they'll know you're my disciples because you make big promises and big vows and big declarations of how much you love Christ. It doesn't say that at all, does it? By this, they'll know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's it. And if you, if you start cracking open the New Testament and you start reading Romans and start reading all your way to Revelation, so many of the commandments in those epistles are in how you treat your brothers and sisters. So many of them. When you look at what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians, so much of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit is how you treat the other people in the congregation. If you look at Romans 12, at what it looks like to lay down your life. You know that passage, Romans 12, 1-2? To lay down your life for Jesus. To be a, a daily living sacrifice for Christ. And we're thinking, that means big things. But you start reading the verses after that. And you know what it is? Forgive one another. Love one another. 
serve one another, honor one another, prefer one another, one another, one another, one another. That's all it is. The, whole, the New Testament. It's like, Paul, have you ever got anything else to say? He's like, no, Jesus and who you are because of him and how you live your lives with one another as a result. That's all it is. So it's not about being busy. It's not about doing the big. In between busy Judas and loyal to death Peter is Jesus' call to faithfulness. And I don't care what any man has to say. I don't care what your standards are of what it looks like to be faithful or what it looks like to be a mature Christian. You're not putting that on me. And we shouldn't put that on anybody. We should listen to the words of the King of Kings and hear what he has to say about what it means to be faithful to him and loyal to him. And what he says is this. If you have love for one another. And what is this love going to look like in verse 34 to 35? What, what type of love is this? And it's just the small, mundane, boring, day-to-day Christian life. That's it. Just every day. Just living your life. Loving Jesus. And loving your brothers and sisters as a result. What it looks like is when a brother or sister has sinned against you or offended you in some way or irritated you in some way, that you forgive them. That you forgive. And God's been impressing this on my heart the last uh, few months. Um, by way of testimony, there was someone in my life I was really struggling to forgive um, for about a year, uh, struggling to reconcile struggling to have a heart of love for them, uh, trying to pray blessing and accidentally praying in precatory prayers. Not really. Uh, but it was hard. It was really hard to, to love. And uh, praying always, God, uh, Jesus knows so much more about me than I know about this one person who did this. And he forgives me. Christ forgives me for everything he knows about what I think and what I do and what I say. I'm forgiven by him. And I'm struggling to forgive somebody over one or two things I know they've done. So please work in me. And I kept praying that uh, for, for a very long time now. And I saw that person recently. And something in my heart just said, that's your brother. And you're called to love him. And I was able to go and talk. And we were able to reconcile for two and a half hours. We hugged. Well, we didn't hug for two and a half hours. We talked for two and a half hours. It would be weird. Uh, and we prayed together and we wept together. And all we're trying to do is this little verse of scripture. By this they'll know that you love one another. So if you're harboring grudges, if you're harboring unforgiveness, if you're harboring bitterness in your heart this morning, friend, you're not faithful to Christ. And you could be busy. You could be doing all the ministry and doing the big and years and decades of service. But you're not faithful to your Savior. It looks like just being kind to one another Coming into the gathering, or not just even here on a Sunday, we don't want to see a Sunday Christianity, but just showing kindness to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, well, how, how much a little way of kindness goes to people, you know? Just, someone, just Every night, someone just stepping a little bit out of their comfort zone to serve or show warmth or affection. Jesus says, or Paul says, welcome one another as Christ welcomes you. You know, welcome one another as Christ welcomes you. How would Christ welcome you if you walked into your room? Well, that's how you're commanded to do it. Kindness toward one another. John said, or Joshua over here said to me, if I knew you were coming, I wouldn't have come all this way. That's not what Jesus would say, Josh. Get it together, man. 
Patience with one another. Patience is part of this love. And, and patience means that there's going to be times in your life where your patience is tried. You don't need to show patience if you're not waiting for something. He's a really patient person. Everything happens right on time. There's nobody in his life who drives his patience. He's so patient. No, but you need patience when people are making you impatient. When situations around you are causing impatience, that's when we need patience. And we're going to need that with one another. Patient endurance, it's described as in the epistles. And uh, there's going to be people in this, in this congregation, in your brothers and sisters, who drive you mad. Right? Everyone amen? <laughs> you, don't have to be, you don't have to be so enthusiastic about that one. Um, but there's going to be difficult people. And what it looks like to have this love for them is to be patient. The way Christ is patient with you. In all of your waywardness and stubbornness and annoying things that you do, Christ puts up with, with mercy. Generosity is another part of this love for one another, to be just be generous. Uh, what are the needs of the assembly? How can we meet those needs? Not just generous financially, but generous in word, generous in service, generous in being there, generous with your time, and then warm with one another. Love is warm. It's a, there's a warmth to this uh, love. It says in Romans to be kindly affectionate to one another. Kindly affectionate to one another. And I, I just want to say once more, if these are not the things that are coming out of your life towards your brothers and sisters, you can be busy all you like. But Jesus says you're not being faithful to him. This is what it means to be faithful. Practical, selfless, sacrificial love. Cressy was just sharing with me. I saw Cressy yesterday. He sends his love. And Cressy was testifying of this um, yesterday with me. And just to encourage you, uh, you know that Emma's been struggling with her shoulder recently, and uh, Cressy said that the church has been wonderful. The, the church family, been, there's been meals sent over to them, there's been phone calls, there's been people been going for walks with Emma. Uh, you know who you are, and uh, Cressy was saying, it just, it just, to know that you're loved means everything. And it's just the simple stuff, isn't it? It's just simple. But it, it changes lives. It changes the world. And so, uh, yeah, this is what it looks like to be faithful to Christ. I'll wrap it up here. Um, as you're reflecting this morning, I hope you're reflecting. I'm, I'm reflecting too. Uh, at my failures at this. And, but, but as you reflect on perhaps a failure in this regard, please know that Christ forgives you. Please know that anything you're reflecting on right now, if I have not lived that way, I have not been like that, I have not been faithful, know that Christ died for that. Know that the, next, the very next day after this speech, Jesus is going to go and die for all of the failures in our lives to live up to what he calls us to here. So you're forgiven. But please also know that just a few days after this, Christ will rise again. And eventually the Holy Spirit will come and indwell the hearts of all of his people. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live this way. Not in your own strength. So to finish up then this morning. You're not mature because of how much programs you're involved in. Or where you're involved. You're not mature because of how much you've accomplished. Jesus healed. Or Judas healed and cast out demons remember. So it's not about what you've accomplished. You're not mature because of how much you know. Peter's like I want more information Jesus. And Jesus is like you're not going to get it. Your maturity in Christ is directly connected to your likeness to Christ. That's it. Your maturity to Christ, your maturity in Christ is directly connected to your likeness to Christ. 
And that is seen, that maturity, that likeness to him is seen in how you treat those around you. Especially the hard ones. Especially the ones who are difficult to love. That's maturity. That's Christ-likeness. The way Jesus treats you when you're hard to love. This is what it means. And so, faithfulness to Christ is best evidenced in our love for one another. Amen. Let's uh, stand together. We're going to.